Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again. <clears throat> and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. As we're reading consecutively in the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark, written by one of the people God used, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The whole Bible is a supernatural revelation. Someone has said it's God's love letter to us. And in it he reveals who he is. He is the center and he is the head. He is the preeminent one of all of existence. And he has come to us to rescue us, to reveal himself who is a light to us as is written more than once in scripture to them that sat in the region of darkness or the shadow of death his broad light notice it says he was accustomed to teaching them the Lord Jesus didn't come just to do miracles of opening blind eyes, raising the dead, causing the mute to speak, healing palsies, and many other infirmities, all kinds of diseases. He came to do that. Praise God for that. Praise God. He came to bless the poor with a way out of an oppressive lifestyle of being oppressed he gave dignity to every human being no matter what situation they found themselves in people who came to Jesus were given great value he valued people he loved people. He sacrificed for people. And no matter what he felt in his body as a human being, as a God, as the God, the living God in a mortal body, he became man, as we know. In a short time, we will celebrate the traditional time of honoring the Lord in his incarnation of becoming a human being, born as a baby, in a mean, lowly estate, in a place that is not pleasant, where animals were, being rejected out of any place that might have been otherwise available. He was born in such a lowly estate, He lived such a humble and meek life and he died numbered with the criminals and yet he was buried 
with the rich. God justified him, but he went through a very difficult path, very, very difficult path, and he did it willingly. He knew the reason he would come into the world, the primary reason or the ultimate reason was to give his life as an innocent lamb so that we can live, we can have meaning. Life is absolutely empty if it's just about shopping. If it's just about seeing the highlights of this world, if it's about travel, if it's about food, if it's about clothing, if it's about music, if it's about amassing material goods, honoring one another, as the world is accustomed to doing, never mind God, but we like to honor each other. It's sheer vanity. Jesus came to restore us back to the real meaning of life and the ultimate purpose of humanity. Part of that was not just healing people, was not just curing the diseases, was not just about casting out devils from those who possessed, but included teaching. He came and he taught faithfully inasmuch as the prophets who came before him, whom, who he sent, all the faithful prophets were given a task of representing the Lord and bringing with them the unmistakable presence of God in the midst of the people so they can turn back to God. And an integral part of that was teaching. Teaching. To show them doctrine, which means truth. When it says taught them, the Greek word is didasko, and you see a variation of that word, didasko, didaskalis, in various uh, words to describe the base meaning, which is to teach. When we read the Gospels, we see not only did the Lord preach, but he went about to teach. Preaching is to declare or proclaim something. As a person would blow a trumpet to call attention to some great event or some great dignitary. Is to announce the kingdom of God. Teaching is a careful breakdown of the truths of God, the eternal truths. Teaching on the nature of God, Jesus said, my Father is the Spirit. They that worship Him 
must worship him in spirit and truth in John chapter 4. He taught that Samaritan woman and through him teaching her, the Holy Spirit has recorded through the gospel writers, that bit of teaching which is so crucial for all of us down through history. Forever it was captured. They didn't have, obviously, audio recorders back then, digital recorders. But the Holy Spirit recorded through the pen, as it were, of people that were called to pass on the teaching that Jesus taught. He taught them because we need to know who God is, what is his nature, what has he proclaimed revealed and taught about himself so that we can, as we heard Prashant pray, become aligned or realigned back to the original purpose of God. Because we're out of alignment. And how the body can ache when something is not aligned. What a terrible strain, a tremendous stress on a human body. It has some part of the skeletal system that is misaligned. We would love to have it realigned and properly aligned. Why? Because it can contribute to wholeness, alleviation from unnecessary distress and further damage. We are in distress as the human race and have been for a long time. We need to be taught. And the word that Jesus teaches, he breaks it down, reveals to us many things that will help us to understand who is the real God, what is he like, as well as what he is not like. God repeatedly goes out of his way, it seems, to emphasize to the Israelites, to those living in Judah, I'm not some work of a goldsmith. I'm not someone created by a silversmith. I'm not an image or statue with eyes what they can't see, ears but they can't hear, noses, but they cannot smell, mouths, but they cannot speak. I'm not that. God says it explicitly. Why? Because so many people were doing just that. They were in darkness. Not having been taught the truth, the nations around Israel were doing these things, whatever they felt like. Someone had an idea. Let's worship this and make this, and other people follow. But God says, Israel, you know better. I've revealed myself to your forefather Abram, who became Abraham, father of many nations. I called him out of darkness and idolatry because I loved him and I had a great plan for him. And he left idolatry and began to follow me. He didn't understand everything, but he took a step like a baby and then another step. And as he kept walking with me, he became a mighty man of faith, 
God told Israel, I'm the same God of your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not some statue. I'm not some idol. I'm not some spirit that you think in your own imagination. I'm the living God. God taught them. And he taught them again. How many times have we seen already in the Gospels that the disciples didn't get it the first time. They didn't get it the second time. He had to tell them over and over again, I'm going to be crucified. Do you understand this? One moment they're arguing about who among them will be the greatest. The next moment they're falling asleep. In the hour of the Lord's greatest trial in Gethsemane. And the Lord patiently, diligently, lovingly taught them. And we see here Mark chapter 10 verse 1. He taught them again. What did he teach them? He taught many things. Beginning with the revelation of himself. What is God like? Who is he? He taught about the Trinity. God is one, but he's three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He described that the Holy Spirit is a comforter, he's a paraclete, he's a helper. Paraclete in the Greek, someone who comes alongside, is coming to help, coming to reveal the truths that God is taught through the Lord Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, is coming as a counselor, as the Lord revealed in John 14. He told the nature of the Father. He says how the Father works. He dwells in such unapproachable light. He's so dazzling, awesome. It's not just a light show. It's actually full of power you can hardly comprehend let alone withstand God is that awesome Jesus taught about this he taught about each member of the Trinity he taught about the nature of human beings he taught about what's in the heart how people get defiled by the things that come out of their hearts and he said I'm the remedy through his blood and many issues he talked about among them we see here the issue of divorce came up and these doctors of the law the Pharisees came to him and asked him is it legal Rabbi teacher is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife and the rest of that verse says testing him they were trying to trap the Lord and they kept trying to do that but they always failed who can deceive the Lord God Almighty even if he comes in the form of a man he never stops being God but these people the Pharisees were full of themselves 
looking to look good and pervert God's law because they really were after money, really were after pleasure and position. So the truth had no place in them, and Jesus said as much. He said, you're from below, I'm from above. Your father is the devil. He told them. Read that in John, John's Gospel. They came with what they thought was a very good trick question to trap them. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? In other words, what is your background in this? You have some knowledge, right? Why don't you say what you know? They said, Moses permitted a man because he knew what they were up to. He asked them a question. Just as when they came and said, by what authority do you do these things? He said, I'll ask you a question too. John the Baptist was he sent from heaven? Was he from above or not? Here he said, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. It just took a piece of paper. You see that in our society. All you have to do is pick up the phone and find someone who can facilitate whatever you want. It seems you can do almost anything if you have the right amount of money and the proper contacts. And they said this. Is it lawful for a man to divorce, divorce his wife? Moses said, you have to get a certificate of divorce and you're done. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept or command. He said it's not as simple as that. The Lord will explain the grounds for divorce, but it's not the way they took it. The Lord said it's an adulterous generation. He said it's an evil generation. They're bent on doing whatever they feel like, not what God said. Verse 5, Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this command. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. They're the ones that are supposed to get married, just as Adam had Eve, and they formed a family. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. It's understood, not just the man, but because the man is the head of the wife, 
because he's the leader as God created him, just as he made Adam first. The scriptures explain that. doesn't mean it always happens that way because not everyone is fit to lead. It's understood. It's not just the man that leaves the father and mother, but the wife. They decide to prioritize the new marriage relationship over the old relationship with parents, which is the primary relationship under God until the son or daughter get married. When marriage comes, they don't abandon the parental relationship, but they restructure their thinking and lifestyle and plans and actions where the covenant with this other person in marriage becomes the priority because it's a new family. And the Lord says in verse 8, and the two shall become one flesh. And the two shall become one flesh. The Lord sees them as one, and he explains that. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. It's a very sacred, unique spiritual unity that comes when physically they're joined together as husband and wife. So much so that in Ephesians 5 the human marriage is likened to Christ's marriage to the bride, the church. And he says in verse 9, Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now there are people who say, marriage, I don't need the piece of paper. Maybe some young people will argue against marriage as something binding and restrictive and a hopeless tradition. It's better just to experiment and live together. People especially youngsters may think, even older people these days, I don't want to be bound, they say. And so I'll keep myself free and available where all of these complexities don't have to occur as far as settling accounts if we should dissolve the relationship. They're wiser than God because God said in the beginning, he made male and female, when it comes to the human race especially, for a holy covenant whereby they become one. And he says that oneness is a very deep and profound oneness where the two people actually become as one person. 
They don't lose their individuality, but they're uniquely one, unlike any other relationship between people on the face of the planet. In answer to the questions of the Pharisees, he says, since this oneness is so profound before God, who created the institution of marriage by conducting the first marriage ever between Adam and Eve, how did it go with them? The Lord brought Eve to Adam and she became his wife. There was a covenant. And down through the centuries in every culture, there's a universal respect for marriage at least as a binding covenant that entitles two people, man and woman, to be a family with unique privileges and recognition in every culture virtually down to the centuries now even without revelation from God it's become a tradition but Jesus here takes the time to teach these people who are actually wicked they were not only ready to divorce their wives for virtually any reason that's what the practice became they misinterpreted and perverted what God was speaking from the beginning so the Lord takes them back before the law to the very first marriage in Genesis at least indirectly by saying in the beginning God created male and female to speak of the institution of marriage. And these people wanted to pit Jesus against Moses. The Lord already knew that. So he said, well, what did Moses say? You're representing Moses? The Lord would say later, these people, they sit in Moses' seat judging They've inherited that. They have inherited the position of teaching people. But look at what they're teaching. Their lives aren't right. So their teaching is perverted. And he diagnosed their situation. He said, because of the hardness of your heart. Your heart's not right. That's why you're looking for a way. The moment you want to split that union, you think you have a license to do it because of some technicality or some interpretation of your own, but that's not God's intent. You get married, you're supposed to stay together because the oneness is something amazingly unique in any human relationship. But the Lord didn't leave it there and imply that anyone who gets divorced is out of order. But he said, 
It's not a light thing to dissolve. And except for certain reasons, it should not be dissolved. Verse 9, he said, Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. It's an institution that God founded, but also it's an institution that God himself recognizes regardless of who it is and what culture. Once a person makes that covenant, it's a promise that we belong to each other as a husband and wife to start a new family. Jesus is saying here, it's so sacred that marriages, once they're entered into, it's God who has recognized that and put that seal upon it. It's not to say that the marriages are holy necessarily. Not to say that all marriages are uh, God-ordained necessarily in the sense that he has chosen one person for another because most of the people in the world, they either do it by their own will or by tradition. Very few people really pray to the living God and say, Lord, show me the person you have for me and help me not to make a mistake. It can affect my whole life, possibly eternity. Help me to find a spouse that fears you, that loves you. I can have a godly generation. Very seldom do people on earth pray that prayer because most people don't even know the living God. And even among those who know the Lord, they're not too interested in following the will of God and therefore they end up misrepresenting God in so many ways. But regardless of that truth or that fact, God holds marriages as a binding contract. And he says, separation is not allowed. Except. Verse 10, in the house, his disciples also asked him about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Paul would further explain on the marital covenant and the instances in which separation can occur but not divorce. And then uh, recommitment and so forth. The possibility of a believer being married to an unbeliever implying that one of them got saved after marriage or was forced into the marriage. In some cultures, it's the threat of death. God sees all these things, but God says in such situations, the children become sanctified because one of the spouses is godly. And the possibility exists 
that the spouse who does not know the Lord Jesus can be won over by the other spouse who walks faithfully with the Lord. The Lord will work and open the eyes of the spouse that doesn't know him. It's a great possibility. But here, the Lord says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The man and woman commits adultery when they divorce the wife or the husband. More information, more truth is taught on the subject by the Lord elsewhere. And the Lord says that there's a grounds for a divorce that's recognized by God. And it's not a clause such as irreconcilable differences. That's not too far from what the Pharisees practiced and taught. Just drop a piece of paper with some fancy words and you can make it official. You see elsewhere that the Lord would say if there is unfaithfulness one has betrayed the other in that covenant by being an adulterer. The innocent spouse has the right to divorce that other person who has betrayed the trust. And yet, just as the Lord Jesus forgave the woman caught in adultery, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, Verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him. And he sat down and what did he do? Taught them. We need teaching from the Lord. We need to know what marriage is in the sight of God. It's not just about the political correctness in the church world about it being between a man and woman. That's basic something that needs to be taught perhaps in our day especially as the perversion just gets worse and worse before the Lord returns. But he taught them about how to treat it sacred, how to preserve it and how profound it is before the Lord. He taught them these things and the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. She was caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? These people are just looking for trouble. 
all the time trying to trap the Lord. This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, you want to keep pestering me with this question? You want to keep trying to trap me, test me? He shut them down immediately with one word as it were. What do you say, teacher? Moses said, we caught this woman. She has to be put to death. That's what Moses said. Moses said this. Teacher, what do you say? What do you say? We caught her in the act. She's an adulteress. Everybody knows she's an adulteress. What a shame. We have to get her out of here. Moses said, stone her. Are you with us or not? After all, he looked up said, whoever among you crowd of people who want to stone this woman. He didn't argue at all the point that she was an adulteress. He didn't argue about the law. He brought up their hypocrisy and their quickness, readiness to condemn another person with no place of forgiveness. As the Bible says, for the law came by Moses but grace and truth to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need grace. We all need grace. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Yes, in the law, there are conditions there's a cause and effect for identifying and trying people who violate God's law and then meeting out punishment as warranted by God, given to Moses and his successors. But as the Bible says in the book of Psalms, if you, Lord should mark our iniquities, O oh God, who shall stand? Who on earth could ever stand before God if God should begin to catalog all our sins to bring up a charge against us? His people couldn't see that side of God. He is the judge. But he's also, as it's written in the book of Corinthians, the father of mercies full of mercy. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. Now this part that we're about to read often gets 
relegated into obscurity, ignored and neglected. It's very important here. God's love is very important. His grace is very important. But remember, grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he taught the truth. And he told the woman, you've been shown grace, don't do it anymore. He gave her that warning. He said, where are your accusers? No one has condemned you. What happened? They're all gone, aren't they? She said, no one, Lord. No one's, no one's here to condemn me. You just scattered all the people who would have stoned me to death. You can imagine her trembling and in awe. She's a free bird. She's free. She would have been caged up in a tomb. In a few moments, she would have lost consciousness, been destroyed from the face of the earth. But the Lord scattered everybody who would throw stone at her. Everyone who would destroy her life because of her blatant adultery. She cheated on someone. She caused someone else to cheat. Lord said, where are the people who accused you? Because in verse 9, all those people were convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning because of Jesus' statement. He said, if you have no sin, you have the right to stone her. Started dropping the rocks, perhaps they were carrying. One by one, it says from the oldest, they had more sense. At least in this regard, even to the last, they just left. They couldn't stand that test of truth. The Lord just beamed a light from heaven upon their hearts. Till you're ready to convict and judge, aren't you? What about you? It's much like today, we can easily look at a person who's homeless or an overt drug user, abuser, pusher. We can easily look at people who blatantly cheat others in all kinds of criminal acts, jump on the bandwagon, begin to badmouth and criticize, criticize, criticize. And the Lord says, have you forgotten about the log that's in your eye? You're looking at the speck in the other's eye. It's a warning for all of us to be very careful that we make sure we're in the clear before we talk about other people. What's our true motive? Where are we? Now, these people had to leave because they had to admit we have sinned. And according to the Lord, the rabbi, to whom we've come for his, they thought, opinion, but it was the truth, because he's the Lord of truth. What he said just cut to the core. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. In other words, 
I didn't scatter everybody, even though I have the right. Jesus has no sin. He is the judge. He said, they didn't condemn you. I scattered them. Hypocrites. They had no heart of mercy. I brought something new. Beyond the rigid perverted interpretation of the law where these people seek to justify themselves I brought something where repentance can take someone off the hook hallelujah and he told her as much I don't condemn you either that's exactly what you need to hear it's one thing to be physically stoned but it's another thing to be spiritually thrown into hell forever the Lord just let her go free of everything he spared her life physically and spiritually forever but with a clear condition he said now go go back not to your sin go about your business your life in a different way without sin go and sin no more and we took this departure from Mark chapter 10 to look at John chapter 8 to show that people who may just read Mark chapter 10 and those verses pertaining to divorce or even with what the other Gospels say, in fact the totality of Scripture including the law is easy for those who are married or single, never married judge and condemn those who are in a situation where they're divorced doesn't matter who it is it can be a family member it can be you it can be a friend and write them off because the law or the word says this here God says I care about you as a person and everything you've gone through I'm coming to you with grace I I was drawn to the opening words of 1 Corinthians recently and you come to your wit's end because of the pressure mounting so much happening and I remember the words as the Holy Spirit brought it to me, grace and peace be multiplied. And it was like a cool, refreshing waterfalls upon dry, parched ground. And I thought, what beautiful words to hear when you're going through a severe trial. God has grace. I need grace. We need grace. We need the touch of God upon our hearts and our lives. We need this measure of God's love and power in grace to lift us out of our problems where we are hugged by the Lord. First Corinthians 1 speaks about that. 
Grace is available in truth. For all of us, no matter what we've done and what we've gone through or are going through, because He is the Father of mercies. You see that in Second Corinthians 1 actually. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now this is not to condone sin and let it go and not look at sin as sin, but it's not to judge in order to condemn but to bring grace that came to us from God. The tribulation can be many different things. A person may have actually divorced a spouse who was innocent. They have done wrong in the sight of God, no matter how many friends said, good for you, you did the right thing. He's no good anyway. He can't meet your needs and she can't provide or she can't do this. And so they gathered together people who would support them in their decision. And they executed the decision and they felt free. But in the eyes of God, they've done grave injustice. They've dissolved what God said, do not dissolve. And they're in adultery before God. But what happens when it's not the innocent party that is divorced and become a victim, truly innocent person, but what happens to the offending party, the one who really did evil, didn't even give the other person a chance to work out something that is truly in the scope of marriage as God sees it, a minor thing. But one person has made it a huge thing. And been very unjust and written off the spouse and divorced before God a grave sin. No matter how many people supported them, God stands as judge and says, you did wrong. You did evil to the other person. What about that person? John chapter 8 has the answer. God stands ready to forgive if we stand ready to confess the truth. And he forgives with a condition. He must not do this again. God has mercy for everyone. And in some cases, people who are divorced are amazingly brought back together for a lasting, God-pleasing marriage. Only God can do that. People are on the verge of divorce. God, by a miracle, as we've seen in our ministry, quite a number of people, over the years, over 
20 years we've seen that. People on the verge of divorce completely reconciled and the divorce never happened. They went on to have more children and a marriage that was so much better than they ever thought was possible because of God's grace. And then there are people who cannot be reconciled because another marriage has happened. Or the other person insists on living an adulterous life and bringing other people and diseases There's so many different scenarios and yet God's grace is available. He will show a person exactly what to do. Something that seems to be irreparable, something that seems to be unforgivable and even the person themselves may be either very haughty and insistent that they're right when God says you're all wrong or God Maybe saying, I can forgive you, and they say, I can't forgive myself, I refuse to forgive myself. It's so important to be taught by the Lord, isn't it? All of us consistently need to come like little children to the feet of Jesus. Sit around. Like children in kindergarten or first grade. The teacher says it's story time. All of them, they come and gather together, little ones. They sit perhaps in a circle or in front of the teacher, all of them. And they're taught to be attentive and to listen to what the teacher is saying. We have the greatest teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ, to teach us how to live, how to change our course. When so many people are going to hell, so many people are being destroyed by so many actions that they've been influenced by demons to perform, and they're stuck. God says, I can change it. Hallelujah. I can change it. I can show grace and truth to pull you out of the pit, prevent you from falling back into the pit, setting you mountain peak in glory. For the law came by Moses, grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for teaching. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, for taking great pains to teach the people, Lord, to expend yourself, Lord. Though it exhausted you as a human being, you kept pushing and pushing to teach the people the words of eternal life, not simply a few pointers for an enhanced lifestyle, but actually to give the eternal word, which is the truth of God, to give life. Thank you, Lord. Your word is life to us. He said, man shall not live by bread only, by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Lord, the eternal God who became man was sitting there 
sometimes in a boat, Lord, and sometimes you stood on the hill. Sometimes you were in the synagogue, but you kept teaching the people because we need to learn. You are the teacher. You know all things. And you always give us the best, this incomparable, eternal word. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. It's called the incorruptible word, the seed that's able to give life to every human being. It's called the light that's able to shine into our dark hearts. Your word is called perfect, able to revive a person's soul. Thank you, Lord. You said the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and life. Oh, Lord, help us to be eager, continually quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So we may receive, Lord, all that we need every day, Lord, because we need your teaching every day so we can be pulled out of the pit, stay clear of the pit, be set on the mountaintop with you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, I pray that you wash us the precious blood through your grace to be a blameless people, a loving people, a forgiving people, a holy people. In Jesus' name I thank you. Amen.